0: mm
1: Hello, I'm Sam Clements and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minutes or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Rihanna Dillon, film critic, broadcaster and Harry Potter nerd. Yes, I took that from your Twitter. (laughs) Yes, you did.
2: (laughs) And pretty much every conversation I've ever had in my life. So yeah, fine.
1: How accurate is this in terms of uh, splitting you up into those three individual silos?
2: I think really accurate. Yeah, I the Harry Potter thing is kind of a very primary love in my life the books not the films actually. interesting yeah. I
1: was going to ask about this so best Harry Potter book
2: uh, it's like children you know you just don't have a favorite but you have a worst <laughs> 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 you have a least favorite my least favorite is the Chamber of Secrets interesting um, but <laughs> my uh, what was my favorite I just I think I I think maybe the the Goblet of Fire is a really fun one because you have the Quidditch World Cup Mm -hmm. and you have like the sort of Triwizard Tournament as well. So there's a lot going on there.
1: You were doing radio work when you were still a student?
2: Yes, yeah. So Radio 1, we're looking for a new film critic. I was still at uni and I think they wanted someone who wasn't so much like a commode type. They wanted someone who sounded young and fresh and I was 22 and didn't know a huge amount about films, even though I was studying it. But they asked what our favourite films were, and mine was Shaun of the Dead. And I think from then, that was...
1: I've got the know. job. Right answer.
2: I was on to a winning streak with that. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, it was a, It was great. For it was such a brilliant, you know, right place, right time lucky thing. So yeah, I joined Radio 1 then, and then have, was there for five years, and then went freelance about three years ago. Nice. Yeah. And people
1: can still hear your voice on Radio 6? Yes, yeah, 6 Music. Is still about... in the Beeb.
2: Yeah, oh God. <laughs> never getting away from the BBC.
1: <laughs> you can't. <laughs> from that, I guess like going back to when you just started, what was the biggest thing you learnt when you were being a, a critic on the radio? It's quite a specific medium to, to cover a film.
2: I think... So what I learned, I ha- we, we weirdly sort of had to audition a, a little bit without realising what we were auditioning for, for this process of me getting the job. James King, who was my predecessor at Radio One, mm. was pretending to be a radio DJ and I was pretending to be the film critic. And I had all of my notes there and was just like, you know, ready to go through it all. And and it, it really... It, completely messed me up actually having all of these notes and trying to stick to this structure because you know if people are throwing questions at you that mm. they don't have exactly what you've got written down so I think my advice would be go with the flow it's it's you have to that's a horrible thing to say it's really like Alan Partridge <laughs> but it's sort of like you know don't don't feel like you have to stick to exactly what you've just listen to what the other person's saying on radio because you do have the freedom to make faces it's like no no one else can really see you so you can ha- take a minute a second to like breathe and respond naturally as opposed to trying to squeeze in what you wanted to say to fit what their question was I suppose
1: but it's all live <laughs> isn't that scary <laughs> is. but I,
2: that was that was all i knew <laughs> like that was i just went onto live radio that was the first time i'd ever done radio it was my first ever broadcast at radio 1 and i loved it i really thrived on like you know the adrenaline kind of got me through and i find pre-recorded stuff like this actually much harder because you can stop and correct yourselves whereas if you just have to plough on through, I think that makes for more interesting, spontaneous stuff.
1: That's true. That's true. And I guess it's like, you know, when it's done. It's done. Yeah, and You don't have to edit, do another take or you know, anything.
2: You might like kick yourself and it's the, the, you have those moments where I like, we'll, we'll still wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night going, oh, my God, that thing that I said on Greg James's show like five years ago. I can't believe I said that. Like that still happens <laughs> every so often. But overall, it is. a It's so fun being on live radio. I really enjoy it.
1: Now we have had, I guess, your protege Ali Plum yes. on this show. He chose a naked gun. Mm-hmm. Have you been following Ali on on Radio One?
2: Yeah, I still listen, still listen to Ali, and always we always bump into each other at um, junkets and um, always have like a little moan to each other in the uh, <laughs> in the little hotel room over a copper. Yeah, there there is a very short history of film critics at Radio One. There was Mark Kermode. James King, me and Ali. Nice. And that's it.
1: You should have a reunion.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we did have a mini one when our producer left and that was really lovely. That was like the first time we'd all been in a room together.
1: You watch a lot of films for work. Mm -hmm. Do you also watch films outside of work? Is film sort of a a hobby in your spare time?
2: Yeah, yeah, it always was. I mean, yeah, from being at college, that's when I first got to do film studies and I just found it so exciting and opening this whole new world that you know, I'd always watched films, but to sort of start to analyse them and looking look at them with a bit more of a critical eye, I suppose, was I've found really fun. Of course, I watch loads of films outside of work as well, and I've, it's only recently that I've sort of learned not to analyse every scene in the same way that I did when I first started working as a critic. That yeah, now I can just enjoy it and not think, oh, what would I ask about this or what would I say to the audience about that? You know, like yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weird thing that you have to control <laughs>
1: it's nice when you can turn your brain off a little bit more and, and really melt into the film yes and it's it's pure entertainment <laughs>
2: it's easier with old films that i perhaps saw as a kid or as a teenager before i started work i really like enjoying films even if they're crap yep. um and but i find that much easier to do with films from my childhood than i do with new films i'm i think i'm much less forgiving on new films coming up because of the nostalgia
1: absolutely you got some ownership over them you're like yeah. well it's crap but it's my crap exactly <laughs> yes and this
2: meant so much to me at this time in my life so yeah
1: we gave you some homework for uh, this podcast uh, choosing a film under 90 minutes yes. long that you would like to present at a fictional film festival mm. very specific homework <laughs> how did you tackle this task
2: i honestly i was a bit stumped i, I had no idea where to start And it was one of those nice, fortuitous moments where I bumped into a guy that I'd met at the BFI working on. He was a a script writer. He'd been on one of my panels. And I was telling him that, you know, I think I'd maybe just got your message. And so I was like, oh, I've just been asked to do this. Any ideas? And he just went, how about searching for Sugar Man? And I was like, that's a great shout because I haven't seen that since it came out seven years ago and I loved it when it came out I remember reviewing it and being so enthralled by it and also I think I was doing a documentary for Radio 1 about Oscars and we went to meet the producer of Searching for Sugar Man and I held his Oscar oh, wow. that he won for that film so yeah so I thought that was a really good shout uh, so it was literally just one of those the very first film that someone mentioned I was like actually this is a perfect fit
1: In the late 60s, a musician was discovered in a Detroit bar by two celebrated producers who were struck by his soulful melodies and prophetic lyrics. They recorded an album that they believed was going to secure his reputation as one of the greatest recording artists of his generation. Despite overwhelming critical acclaim, the album bombed and the singer disappeared into obscurity amid rumours of a gruesome onstage suicide. But a bootleg recording found its way into apartheid South Africa, and over the next two decades, it became a phenomenon. Searching for Sugar Man follows two South African vans who set out to find out what really happened to their hero. Their investigation led them to a story more extraordinary than any existing myths about the artist known as Rodriguez. This is a film about hope, inspiration, and the resonating power of music.
0: Whew. <laughs>
2: on isn't
1: it that was a a big that was a big big (laughs) synopsis for a 86 minute long film (laughs) Uh, do you think that blurb does this film justice
2: I think they almost go into a bit too much detail there I think so much of the magic of the film is the mythology around it and Mm. I don't know I I, what I loved about it was knowing nothing Mm. going
1: into it Sugarman as a film feels sort of like quite a modest endeavour and, and it's also full of love like it follows these two fans yeah, and that's exactly um, these, these people who have followed this obscure recording artist mm. uh, over the years you know and, and, and I think that's, that's what really shines through that's why this story is so good also like it's such a moment in time as the blurb says it starts in the 60s and people didn't know who this guy was when these records came to South Africa uh, nowadays you'd just Google it yeah, <laughs> or you'd find out yeah. so it, it only really could have happened at the time it actually happened yeah. and I really liked that, it's a good capsule for that era.
2: What I hadn't really thought about until I saw it again was the fact that it's it is told in sort of three different time periods Um, we speak to the producers who discovered him initially and that was in the 60s and 70s people who were working with him and who heard him and then we jump forward to the 90s where we speak to the men who were actively involved in then trying to find out about what happened to him after we moved to Cape Town and find out that he was huge on the South African scene and then we're telling that story in 20... 20- we. <laughs> They're telling this story in 2012. Yeah, so just having these sort of... These three different periods is... It's a bit of a mindfuck initially. Because, mm. yeah, you're right. Initially, I was, I was like, so why didn't they... Why couldn't they find this so quickly or why was it if he's so long good heart? yeah why they know? <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> the editing in this film is is really good i think the story structure i mean they must have filmed hours and hours of footage yeah. as documentaries always do but the decision to withhold certain information from the audience which sometimes i get annoyed at mm-hmm. like that's only a twist because you didn't tell me earlier yeah there was no careful plotting or anything but i think in this it sort of earns it because you have to establish what it was like in the 60s what conditions rodriguez recorded that album mm. under and also how these fans in south africa found it and and you know why they love it and all that sort of stuff so i think you need to build him up a certain to a certain level before finally revealing him Did i think he come R- rodriguez the person comes into this in maybe like 40 minutes yeah in,
2: it is is almost exactly halfway
1: through which is like an incredible like i think that takes quite a lot of guts for the mm-hmm. filmmaker to like just going to keep holding Just saying, back. he's dead, he's
2: dead, he's dead. We all know how he died in mm. one horrific manner or another. And then suddenly that reveal of... They do it in a, quite a low-key way. It mm. just like, you know, one of the guys just saying... So I was talking to this guy, I was asking him all about Rodriguez. It was so exciting that he actually knew who he was. And then I asked him how he died and he just said, he's not dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. One of the songs that he had on his album, it was called... Uh... The Sugar Man, was it Sugar Man? Is that the name of the song? Um, I knew that guy, the Sugar Man, and his name was uh, Volkswagen, Char- Volkswagen Frank. And he lived right around the corner and used to go over to Volkswagen Franks. You could go in and get a little sugar, if you know what I mean.
0: Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes.
1: This is a stranger than fiction sort Mm -hmm. of true story, and they don't come across come along very often. No, but it's handled very well. I also get the impression that they were making this film for a heck of a long time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I yeah. What what the what you were saying about how did they not you know why wasn't he more popular is sort of like the question that just keeps coming up more and more because everyone who speaks about Rodriguez's music says he was better than Bob Dylan. Mm. He was up there with like the greats of the time. The guy who was a Motown, like the head of Motown mm. management was like, he's in my top five of all time. And I was like, was he f-? Like yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're just saying that for the documentary. <laughs> so why wasn't
1: he in a documentary? list at some point before this? Yeah. Why wasn't he on a talking heads programme on like BBC4? It anything? was just really <laughs> weird
2: that they were all sort of like suddenly, it just felt like they were all suddenly trying to reclaim him now that mm. there was this documentary that was interested in him. Especially with the Motown management guy. I think they make quite a he ties himself in a bit of a knot and he gets really defensive when they sort of ask where have all the royalties mm. from Sugar Man's album, where have they gone? And he gets really angry and defensive at that moment, which is so telling. And they don't push him enough on it, but perhaps that wasn't the direction they necessarily wanted to go down.
1: I think it's because he's he he doesn't react very well to that question. So I think the filmmakers are sort of like, how how far do we push him? Yeah. We want to carry this interview on. Yeah we follow these these two fans, initially one fan who owns a record store and then another fan who's more of a journalist. And I love their the, the processes behind this. I, I sort of lost track of when they were actually doing this. I assume it's in like the 90s yeah. when they first go on this. They start this journey. The film was made in 2012. Yeah. But um, they're like you know they going through the labels on the back of the record. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of trying to find out where these companies are and, and some of them don't exist mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And, and also some of the credits on the songs are sort of inaccurate. Yeah. Uh, and there's, a, there's like a lot of work has really gone into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: They they're very forensic, aren't they, in their approach to it? And even like going, you know, we kind of see them going to the archives, and we hear about how the. What I really like hearing about the history of South Africa mm. in terms of how they approached this kind of music, and how there was, and how there was censorship. Mm. And that did you not? I loved how vi- how they made that so visual in terms of they literally on a vinyl. Crossed out oh, yeah. a song. They scribbled, yeah. they did it with like a sharp tool on a vinyl. So if one of the songs was too provocative or was sort of too anti establishment, they literally scratched it out so it couldn't be played on the radio. And I just thought that was a, a, an amazing detail that I would never have thought of. You sort of think banning. I don't, you know you think of book burning and things like that but in terms of this I just thought it was like a, such an unusual method and I think they did a really great job of showing us that and then the impact of that and how terrible I mean yeah this was not that long ago and the impact of what that was like for the people listening and trying to make sense of this guy that they were like hero worshipping and he was being banned and as they said that was the best way of getting his work out there because as soon as you ban something Absolutely. young people are going to rebel and listen to it as much as possible
1: it's quite a good you know way to add to the mythology to it and there's such a good story behind this anyway like you know this guy he burned himself alive yeah. on stage he shot himself in front of an audience he did this he did this and his songs are banned <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just makes you want it even more
2: it's like i mean not to go back to the harry potter thing <laughs> but um with professor umbridge when she bans harry's Uh, Interview in the quibbler and then everyone in the school reads it because it's about you know Hermione taught us that
1: I was wondering when Professor Umbridge was (laughs) coming to this
2: (laughs) (laughs) the ultimate villain
0: hey I'm Kobe and I'm Helen and we are from Flix Watcher Podcast another podcast in the Stripped Media family
2: we're a movie podcast that reviews films on Netflix
0: so if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix then we're the podcast just for you
2: each episode we have guests from other podcasts big and small who choose the films and we rate them with our unique scoring system
0: so if you want to listen to flix watch podcast just type in flix watcher that's f-l-i-x watcher into the very app that you are listening to this podcast on visit www.stripped.media to find more about our podcast and 90 minutes or less film fest
1: After building this guy up, Rodriguez, the artist who is supposedly dead, he supposedly mm. shot himself on stage and burned himself alive. Yeah, there's all
2: this self immolation stuff. <laughs> yeah. He, and then
1: you actually meet him, and he's got this cute little flat. Yeah. He's got kids, and he's, he's nervous on camera when he Malik finally is. sits down with him. He is a really
2: muted reaction. What we've heard is that he's this really enigmatic, possibly dead rock and roll, like, could have been the next huge thing. So we're expecting a real presence at this point. And yeah, you're right. He almost like shuffles in and just we see him like sipping water, which I thought, you know, made him look quite vulnerable Mm. somehow. He's sort of hiding behind his dark glasses, which was carried on through the, you know, the very first time we hear about him being described as with his dark glasses on. So obviously that is his image. Mm. It's almost disappointing at the very beginning. But then I think... Again, this is a credit to the filmmakers, how they then start to rebuild... His character, mm. so to speak, now, and that comes from his daughters. I think they do a really beautiful job of talking about him as a, a, a just a, a dad, and you know what he does work-wise. They talk to his like colleagues. He it turns out he's in construction.
1: He does a minimum wage, yeah, day laborer job. But in one part of the world, he is a rock star who yeah. can sell out <laughs> arenas.
2: <laughs> it's insane. And so just just and like because he is just like this n- very normal man that makes so much more sense than why he is just. So Sitting in this interview as a very normal man who's a bit camera shy or I mean that I think it, they did that really well because otherwise it, it you would have been like well you're almost expecting him to be a bit more like overwhelmed or excited or and he's a bit nonplussed by by all they touch on this a little bit about um, where he came from initially and he's Mexican I was wondering if his race had played a part in why he didn't get successful or didn't because it was like he didn't fit into that sort of idea of like you know that like Bob Dylan like that the kind of the white singer and then the Motown of the black singers and he was sort of in the middle and didn't have a place. What did that did that crop up for you? Because they don't really talk about that.
1: No, that's a really good point actually. Like, cause he? They're comparing him to some great artists when they're doing the the, you know, the hero worshipping kind of stuff. You know, better than Dylan is is a really bold claim. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess if you think about it who are the big mexican singers yeah. from the late 60s and and if there are big mexican singers are they singing you know this soulful folk you know very america centric stuff mm. and yeah maybe he was sort of the the right artist but at the wrong time yeah maybe it took the 80s and 90s for him to find a place
2: yeah that's uh, the, that's what i could
1: because they do talk about how his records flopped when mm-hmm. they came out critically acclaimed but flopped and maybe there's just a commercial reason the audience didn't, know, didn't relate didn't, didn't resonate with it and
2: were racist or well, whatever I mean, yeah who like knows possibly <laughs> I mean you don't yeah I, I felt that they didn't really talk about their attitudes or you know what it was like at that
1: time it would be nice to if they had some original like reviews or write-ups or, yeah. or something to give it some more context because all we know is it's people's word of mouth oh it was hugely acclaimed people yeah. loved it like did they but it, and it flopped <laughs> and it's yeah. like well
2: what you know yeah we need something to back that up.
1: But I guess we, I know, it's all on the individual. I guess you can make your own judgment on this. But when we actually finally see him, maybe he doesn't have that showy mm-hmm. personality you need to to break through. You know, in in terms of a, a bit of PR at yeah. the time, maybe he wasn't interested in playing the showbiz game. That being said, I'm not really sure if Bob Dylan was. But he did no. lots of stunts. I guess he did stuff, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, Although Rodriguez having, seems quite happy not doing that. Having
2: said that, Rodriguez on stage, apparently, you know, we kind of see some footage of that, and he does really. See Seem to come alive, and he does know how to work the crowd. And um, yes, it's very music centric, but he's also responding and reacting to them. So I think as a frontman, he's he's viable, mm, absolutely, absolutely. And that was that. I mean, it is such a lovely sort of fairy tale ending when you finally see him in the build-up that they do with that, this arena slowly getting full of people who still aren't hundred percent sure if they're going to see Rodriguez or if he's the real Rodriguez yes. or, <laughs> I, you know, I, I get that sort of mythology just, just kept going and going and going. So yeah, I really love the way they set that up. And then that moment when he came on stage, I actually got a bit tearful watching that because it's so momentous and they, they do a really good job of saying how, how much he meant to so many people and his ignorance of that, the, that the marrying of that moment, of, you know, that, that point where he becomes suddenly so aware mm. that all these people are there for him and all these people are suddenly aware that their hero is alive and in front He'd of him. He's come them.
1: back from the dead Yeah, for them. It's incredible. It's a
2: stunning moment and it's so great. I feel like the film wouldn't have had the sort of impetus if they hadn't managed to capture that on camera.
1: One of the stories I've heard is that there was an American girl and she came to South Africa to visit a boyfriend and brought a copy of the record with her. And her and him and all the friends really liked it and went out to try and buy it, but you couldn't buy it. So they started
0: taping copies and passing copies along. However it got here, however it germinated here, once it got you, it, 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 it spread very quickly. How much going have you got?
2: I also love the legend of how his record came to be in South Africa in the first place. Mm. And this is what I remember this scene so clearly from seeing it the first time seven years ago, was that the... They talk about how a girl, American girl, came over to visit her South African boyfriend and brought the record on the plane with her. And as they do that, they show a shot, sort of grainy image of a plane landing. And that that moment really stuck with me of just how this really incidental thing happened and how they started, they couldn't make copies. They No, they couldn't buy any more records of this. There was only this one in existence. So they made copies of it and then started handing it around their mates and probably like bootlegged Stuff. It's just it's just a crazy story of how an artist can get big. It's so unbelievable that that's that can launch somebody's career. It's so old fashioned. And like you say, so of its time because that could not happen today. And I loved that.
1: It's a bit like, it's like the dream, isn't it? You know, like word of mouth or get this person through and they came up from from this underground scene and now they're a huge player and, and stuff. And like I don't think we see that very often, but it feels like a very romantic way for an artist to break through. Yeah. And he's so lived romantic. it without even realizing it was <laughs> yeah. happening. I guess that's the, the whole irony to this thing, you know. A mistake <laughs> led to you becoming the most popular artist yeah, in the yeah. country. <laughs> and they do sort of say,
2: so do you wish that you were big or famous or you know, do you and he's like, I can't really answer. That like I don't. Yeah,
1: I guess he knows. Like, what's the point? What's the point of? I'm not focusing on the yeah. uh, And and I guess it's a nice surprise now. The nice thing is that he knows. Like, imagine if yeah. For whatever reason, these two guys didn't get in touch yeah uh, with him and didn't invite him over and he didn't get to do that stadium Mm. show. I was quite nervous during that scene because and I'm, I know a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes but like you never saw him like rehearsing no. practicing oh my
2: god were you like what if he's shit she's like yeah exactly
1: because these guys all love him and the whole film is talked about how a whole country loves this guy and you see him doing the press and everyone's so yeah. excited and then I was a little bit nervous when he started um, but thankfully he is very good and he I'm sure there were rehearsals because uh, he's playing with a band as well and I'm like yeah. actually what's going on
2: I know they didn't, they didn't really make that very clear did they because they, they must have rehearsed with the band they must have
1: done because he doesn't really, when they have the one-on-one interview with Rodriguez, he doesn't really talk about making new music. Mm. You know, why didn't you do another album? And it's just like, mm. yeah. I don't know He's not interested in it. So it's just like, oh, I hope he can still remember the words. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they do a really lovely, the way that they have, because at the beginning, is it at the beginning? Yeah, I think they're like all music by Rodriguez. Mm. So every single track in this is a Rodriguez track. And they sort of do these, sometimes are they animation? Sometimes there are just sort of like cityscapes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with like the title and the year it came out in the top corner, and that it's just it's so simple and so effective, mm-hmm. and they also have this uh, animation of Rodriguez trudging through the streets of Detroit, like against like really bitter cold, like pulling up his collar, and that's right at the beginning of the film again before we know anything about him, mm-hmm. and then they have. the the live action version of the real Rodriguez trudging through the snow in this like really melancholic way of just this man who's gone through a lot of hard labor and has had quite a difficult life, I think, but not unhappy, but, quite a tough one I think that's the sort of impression you're getting and I just yeah so I, I liked how they sort of played with the form of that and sort of emphasised his journey his literal path that he's treading that was a different for me in a documentary because the rest is quite sort of not formulate's not fair but you know so we've seen talking heads before before. that's a very
1: you know it's a tried and tested way of telling a story but yeah the animation i loved and remember seven years ago watching it in the bfi in a lovely cinema screen i didn't expect to see lovely hand-drawn animation no and it looked so good and when you're using a recording artist's songs, like this film does, that adds an extra production level to the yeah. movie. So it's, like, really cool music, which I'd never heard before, mm-hmm. but, like, I was, I was really into but it. But you I feel thinking, like you know. Yeah. But you
2: sort of feel like you know it. Because
1: it's sort of... It sounds a bit like a lot of other stuff, yeah. which I really like, and it probably inspired some of it, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, hearing that with the visuals, and, and I also like how, actually, through the whole film, through these 86 minutes, it educates you about Rodriguez's sound, yeah. his music, so when you finally see him mm-hmm. and you hear him play, you can... It's not the same level, of course, but you no. you get a bit of the energy that the people in that stadium. Yeah, got. it means like, Oh, something. he's playing that song. Yes. which I've heard of throughout this whole movie. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and because it's not interrupted with other voices singing, mm. it it does become very familiar to you over those eighty six minutes because it's constant. But it's never, I don't know, it doesn't feel forced or it doesn't interrupt the narrative. It just feels like a very natural part of it because we're talking about his work and here's a bit of his work and mm. da, da, da. yeah. And I mean, you know, at the time I immediately came out and downloaded it and it was so gorgeous to listen to and immerse yourself in
1: I sort of really liked that actually like when you when the film finishes you know we they scratch the surface of it and they play a few of his songs but there's a whole wealth of, of songs for you to go and, and, and find and discover and enjoy Yeah. so I, I went to the screening at the BFI where they had the producers there and, and the director and then the special guest was Rodriguez <gasps> and oh he played God. a couple you've of just, songs you've just done this
2: to me you've <laughs> just like you didn't tell me that at the beginning and now you suddenly brought this in as a twist well, I thought
1: it would be good for the listeners to maybe not know exactly what it was about and now they know wow amazing <laughs> so what was that like R- really like beyond chills yeah. because you it was adv- you know it was that great whoever put the event together by the way like <laughs> Jeff Kiss,
2: do you do i wonder
1: he did that yes oh, <laughs> it that. was like the, the big the big songs from the film yeah it wasn't an extended set or anything but it was uh it was just such a good touch did you review this film on radio one
2: yeah i did yeah i did because i enjoyed it so much i think it's one of those films that could have gone under a lot of people's radar yes and being on a huge radio station i was like it's kind of my part of my job so to I'm make sure champion, the word yes. gets out there yes <laughs> about Search for sugar man
1: do you remember what the response was like from colleagues at the station because this is an independent documentary it's maybe not like a radio one type thing no
2: it's not it's probably much more radio six now, no,
0: yeah.
2: to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um a bit early with that but yeah i think i mean to be honest it's People in Radio One are, of course, very focused on current music, mm. but of course have an interest in music history as well. And every, everyone that I've ever spoken to about this film, because it does crop up a lot in conversation, are always so impressed by it. A lot mm. of people have seen it and remember it because it's such an unusual story and because it does have that wonderful ending it could have been such a a different story. It could have been quite a bleak, sad, depressing ending, and it isn't. So I think that it stayed with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's very inspiring. And just for, for documentaries as well, I used to struggle with documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never necessarily my favourite kind of genre. I mean, it's a bit unfair to call it a genre because there are so many different oh, genres yes, of documentary. I, yeah. But um, I didn't it was never it would never have been my first choice uh, but that i think going back to what you were asking earlier, I think that's something I've learned a lot through um, having to watch documentaries for work is actually how much scope there is for telling incredible stories so perhaps I was just watching the wrong ones yeah. before that and then oh, absolutely. something like this can come along and change your
1: mind. This does feel like I think people have a certain image of, of this sort of type of storytelling in, mm. in, in their head and, and that's maybe because it's true a lot of films and, and documentaries also television you know, is like this but seeing something like this which challenges the, the form, has a great story, there are Bolted to filmmaking, they've got this amazing artist, this huge like figure at the big center of the film. With you know, music is a really good way to um, relate to your audience, and they've got the power of Rodriguez's music on their side as well. Like everything's going in their favor, and I think it's it's a real it's a remarkable feat. Like this film is so low budget. That's something which really struck me on the like latest rewatch, mm. doesn't hold up so well even on like an H D T V. Yeah. It's it's shot on Super 8 Film, which is such a grainy old school format of movie making, and an iPhone.
2: Yes. <laughs> he ran out of money. The director ran out of money, so he couldn't shoot any more on Super 8. So he had to use a filter on his iPhone to make it look
1: like it was Super 8. Which doesn't sound real. But no, it is. It is. <laughs> I checked even like, you know, if you go onto things like IMDb and, and very like you know, other like techie sort of film websites, you can see what format it was shot on. Like, was it actually shot on Super 8 in an iPhone and it and it was yeah. everybody's saying the same thing about yeah. it. Which is it's remarkable. Is
2: amazing. Because it, it yeah, it sort of transcends the way it's shot or what it was shot on. It doesn't, it's not going to hold up on like a huge screen, but actually watching it on a laptop, which I did, it's very watchable. It sort of adds so, to the mystique of the yeah. film,
1: you know, this myst- mystical character. That sort and of lost that. footage mm. idea of it a little bit. I also get the sense that they maybe did some of these interviews sort of on the fly. You see some interviews on the street towards mm-hmm. the beginning and mm-hmm. it must have just been like, oh, yeah, let's talk to you now. <laughs> You've got a good story and talk to you now. Yeah. Some people are in like very darkly lit rooms, yes. which if you were doing, if you were setting an interview up, you probably wouldn't choose the room yeah. to be like that. <laughs>
2: I know. No. Uh, with, with those interviews that, like you were saying on the street that they were really like they just grabbed them there were there are points in this film where i feel like they are trying to set up the the myth of rodriguez a little bit too much they it feels like sometimes they're almost trying to put words in mm. the mouths of some of their interviewees because they're they're all saying quite similar things that i'm not sure would would have been a sort of blanket vision of no. what he was like you know so they're obviously they have a very specific narrative that they want to tell mm. and they're just sort of getting these people who used to know him to tell it but it that was the only bit right at the beginning that didn't quite ring true for me like when you have these producers going and we walked into this dark bar and yeah, yeah. we couldn't see his face and he had his back to us and yeah he was singing but we just couldn't see what he looked like and i was like hmm all right so go closer yeah. like, <laughs> once you start talking to him presumably you saw his face yeah. and they don't quite touch on that it was all this oh it was all uh, <laughs> a weird illusion I think
1: the, at that point the filmmakers are really trying to yeah, like build up this like literally build up this mystical character I yeah. think you see some sort of grainy footage of someone behind some smoke and, yeah. and things I was like you don't
2: you're trying a bit too hard here to make us manipulate us mm. um, whereas actually what you have is amazing you don't need to do that that was the only bit that I wasn't that's a huge fan of the second second time round, and also with music documentaries well there's a there's a Motown documentary that's coming out or out mm. um Hitsville um Motown the story of Motown and it's a brilliant documentary i love it so much but i also love the music so much it was it was such an easy win that was always going to be a brilliant film even if you had crap interviews in between because the music is so good and they had actually got you know rights the music which always helps and doesn't always happen as we know in music films or biopics but with this film because we don't know the music very well or at all uh, it wasn't necessarily an easy win from the start but they but they make it into such a natural fit for a music documentary that it, I think it really does win you over, the music does win you over. Which I thought, yeah, just like sort of analysing why some films really work and some don't. Mm. And this doesn't matter that we don't know every single word because we le- we're learning it as we're going along. To
1: trust the music is good enough to win over an audience who are coming in completely mm-hmm. cold. It's mm-hmm. not... You know, like, say, like a nostalgic look back at no. something people know, it's actually introducing people to some an artist they never heard of, yeah, which I, I thought was, was great. And to do that, you know, trust the music enough to be able to present the film on super eight and iPhone mm-hmm. footage mm-hmm. <laughs> and still win people over, yeah. Uh, and it didn't, you know, just win us over because clearly we're both fans, yeah. Uh, of this, it won a BAFTA, won an Oscar, yes. Like, this film, I held the Oscar, you heard, and you held the Oscar. <laughs> uh, this film was hugely successful. Does yeah. that surprise you? Uh,
2: no, I don't, it doesn't because. It's short. It's really sweet. It's a lovely ending. And it's unusual. It was an, un- it's an unusual story. People haven't seen this kind of story before. Like you said, it was kind of gold for the documentary makers to find this nugget. Mm. It's a gorgeous story. And I think that is the thing that will always
1: win. Searching for Sugarman is in the festival. Yay! <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've convinced you. <laughs>
1: That's locked in. We've booked the movie. Great. It's going to arrive on an iPhone or something, <laughs> by the <laughs> sounds of things. Uh, we're going to play it on a big screen to a packed house. Mm-hmm now as part of the role you've agreed to do for this festival mm-hmm. no, you don't have to just use a film you need to entertain the audience we want to make sure people get bang for their buck <laughs> okay. with this screening so what would you like to do around the screening before oh, wow. afterwards to maybe eventize Searching for Sugar Man at the 90 Min Film Fest
2: this is really difficult with this film I feel like um, although you have you have obviously given me a great idea we're going to wheel out Rodriguez <laughs> <laughs> himself I think a sing-along would be so nice oh, wow so like having the lyrics some of his biggest songs on the screen behind rodriguez at the end of the film would be amazing so the audience can join in a little bit if they fancy it Which i'm sure they would because i would have plied them with alcohol beforehand because <laughs> that is the best way <laughs>
1: to get the audience so you're thinking like karaoke <laughs> yeah kind exactly
2: 100 percent <laughs> and then maybe just like a solo spotlight on Rodriguez for one
0: Nice, for ballad. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: Because they talk about like the dive bars that he was in at the beginning and the, which kind of sets up the mood really nicely. So I think good mood lighting, lots of beer few little detroit snacks <laughs> a bit of smoke <laughs> yeah a smoke exactly so just but i think it needs to be kept simple because this isn't an ostentatious film so i don't want to go too over the top with it i think the film needs to do the talking okay. um but i think yeah having the, that music treat
1: so you're going to get the audience the to come in and they start to adjust the mood because they realize they maybe in more of a low-key venue yeah
2: the little yeah lights table you know uh at the Soho house has got, like, little uh, lamps for each chair. Okay.
1: Yeah, low yeah. lighting. Okay, you're thinking of... I love uh, low yeah, lighting. That the evening <laughs> mood. You're going for proper late night vibes. Maybe there should yes. be a late night screening at the festival. Yes. And maybe let's let's do that, that so really lean into it. And people can have a few <laughs> drinks before coming in. Yeah. And just, you know, like, treat it like a gig. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so we'll have a the support band would we'll maybe just be you introducing the film. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing. Doing the singing, housekeeping messages. Yes. <laughs> uh, toilet shirt at the back, fire yeah. exits to the left. Uh that, that sounds I that could sounds do my good. best.
2: Yeah, air hostess. <laughs> Arms forward and left, exits. Exactly. I'd nail
1: that. And I think you've maybe answered this, but uh if you could invite one special guest, who would that be?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be Rodriguez himself.
1: You get Rodriguez. Would you try to interview Rodriguez or would you just sort of Oh
2: my god let him, I think let him do his thing? I think maybe, I mean, I do want, you know, I'd want to hear a bit from him. But because he didn't respond so well to the questions in the documentary, I don't think that I'd get be able to get a huge amount more out of him. Although perhaps by now he's used to having a little bit more media attention. So maybe off perhaps. the back of the
1: film and the Oscar campaign yeah. and all that stuff. So
2: it, it might be nice to have maybe a couple of words, not a sit down, but just before he starts.
1: Okay, so a standing a standing intro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Keep sure it casual. Don't,
2: you know, don't put too much focus on it. Don't want to make him nervous before his performance.
1: Mm. Even if he says one word. A uh, one-word answer. That's fine. <laughs> That'll people do. People saw him. Yeah. Tick. Well, does that ruin the film if you wheel him out beforehand? If oh, this audience have not haven't seen hand. it Not beforehand, definitely. Okay, so not Afterwards. Beforehand, afterwards. That's yeah. the big reveal. Just
2: before his set. Yeah.
1: Nice. So he gets a big, like, huge standing ovation. Mm-hmm. And
2: he would get a standing ovation, I think, after people have seen that film. I
1: think it would be impossible not to yeah. see that film and then actually see the guy. Did you?
2: Did you give them a give him a standing ovation at the BFI? Do I you feel remember?
1: like I couldn't have stood high enough. <laughs> uh, hey, I You're think people, on the chair. I think people went <laughs> Crazy. Not. So, do you think this film should be longer than 90 minutes?
2: No, I really don't.
1: That was a very quick answer. No, absolutely no, not. Really
2: don't. <laughs> I think I am all for shorter films. I mean, look, if you have a story to tell that will go into three hours, then. Okay, you know? <laughs> I'll go in open minded, Martin Scorsese. Um but I think for this it didn't they didn't need to long it out anymore because I think, like we said, the structure is is so clear and so defined and they hit all the right notes within that. Um I think if they tried to drag it out any longer we would have had longer interviews from people mm. or possibly more people who weren't very relevant I think they got all the salient points in there and also with a with a twist you don't want to keep outstaying your welcome I suppose and
1: you know one twist is enough we don't want to M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> no, this thing we don't exactly. need to keep having the twist wouldn't really work for this <laughs> would it <laughs> what I like about the runtime in this is it feels like you've gone on such a big journey yeah and it's really emotional it connects with the audience it feels like a really significant amount of time and I, I just lost track of time when i was yeah, watching it I when did. it got to the end i was a bit like oh yeah already? really yeah, <laughs> I know. the third
2: act is kind of like run at you doesn't Mm. it and you want to stay in that happy place for a bit longer because you've spent quite a lot of time believing that he he's dead and quite you know that quite sad thing of this man who perhaps never fulfilled his potential that's quite a sad place to live in Mm. and then when you have this euphoric moment at the end you want to stay in that euphoria for a little bit longer but i think if we had it would have lessened the legend and the mythology a little bit
1: thank you so much for contributing to the festival Rihanna it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun so Rihanna where can people find more of your work and follow you online
2: Uh, you can hear me on Six Music on uh, Lauren Laverne's show every Monday from about 9.30 where I kind of give my recommendations of the week for film TV and streaming and I present um, TV and film interviews for Build so you can go to Build's Twitter and Facebook To look at those interviews, which are always quite fun, but yeah, catch just
1: around. You're around. I'm around. I'm
2: on Twitter. Oh god, what's my Twitter? I think it's just Rihanna Dylan.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Look, I'll see you at the cinema. Yeah, I'll
2: see you there for a change.
1: Thank you for listening, and please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. As a new independent podcast, it really helps. We're also available on Spotify and all good podcatchers. You can also stream the show on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show is edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.
0: We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.